0: Brethren, from the dawn of time, God has had a plan, hasn't He? We've heard about that plan on this day, the day of Pentecost, the plan of salvation to bring all human beings into his family. And we've also heard that the remarkable thing about that plan, which we learn on this day, is that he is allowing us as first fruits to have a part in bringing about the plan for the rest of mankind. It's really quite a remarkable thing about God's nature, about His character. When He has a big project, He doesn't do it alone, does He? He involves His created beings in it so they can have a part of its success. And they learn and grow in the process. That's us. God works through human beings. As we talk about God's plan for mankind and what it means on this day of Pentecost, as revealed through the Holy Days, of course, I'd like to ask you the question, is God working through you? Is God working through you? Put your name in there. What's your name? Put that in there. If you want a title for my sermon today, my, my title is simply, Is God Working Through You? Let's start off going back to Leviticus 23 to get an overview. We were there this morning, and we're talking about Pentecost. But let's, let's also put it in context of all of the holy days, as can be helpful to do. When we're talking about God's plan, Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 1, we read, of course, The Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, say unto them, Concerning the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest. A holy convocation, you shall do no work therein, it is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. Of course, the discussion of the feast starts out... With the weekly feast, the Sabbath, which is not just a rest, but it is a holy convocation. It's a gathering, a commanded assembly, where we come together on a weekly basis to worship God and step through uh, the plan. Verse 4, These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which you shall proclaim in their seasons. In the fourteenth day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover, So we find out that God's answer for the sin of mankind, of course, is Passover. Jesus Christ, who gave His life for our sins, who is resurrected three days and three nights later, and was the first to be born into eternal life, ultimately so that we could have that life as well, the first to be born from from the flesh. Verse 6, And on the fifteenth day of the same month in the, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. In the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. Of course, so now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which we already observed, seven days of eating unleavened bread, which typifies our whole life of, of eating and feeding on Christ, becoming like Him as a way of life. During those days of unleavened bread, look what occurred, verse 10. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When you are come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. When you're in that beautiful land, he said, that I'm going to give you, when I'm blessing your crops, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember where your blessings came from. And I want you to dedicate the very first first fruits to me. It's it's the type of, it was a type of the spiritual harvest of entering eternal life. Of course, Jesus Christ becoming the first of the first fruits, as we heard this morning. So all the way back there already, these days we're looking forward to the time of Christ's coming, being the first fruits of God's spiritual family. Of course, then we read about the wave sheaf, verse 11. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord of the fruits, to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Let's read a little bit and think a little bit about the wave sheaf here briefly, uh, even though that would have taken place some weeks ago. Sometimes the question comes up, from which Sabbath is he talking about? It says the wave sheaf. Uh, shall be waved on the morrow after the Sabbath. This is a question that comes up uh, from time to time, especially on a year like this year, when the the first day of unleavened bread is on a Sunday, and then the last day of unleavened bread is the following Sabbath. So the question becomes, which Sabbath do you count from to be to come to the, the day when the, the sheaf was waved? Do you start from the Sabbath before the first day of Unleavened Bread, or do you start from the Sabbath, which is the last day of Unleavened Bread? Leviticus 23 is not specific, so we have to look elsewhere to find out. Now, it's significant because from which place you count, then that affects where Pentecost falls, of course, which is what we're observing today. Let's read in verse 11 again, and it says, He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it, and you shall offer that day, when you wave the sheaf, a uh, he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. The meat offering thereof shall be two tenths deals of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire. Uh, verse 14, and notice this is a key. And you shall eat neither bread, nor parched corn, nor green ears, in other words, the new produce of the land, until the selfsame day that you have brought an offering unto your God. It shall be a statute forever. Let's go over to Joshua chapter 5, <clears throat> because when this question comes up, there is another passage which sheds some light on it. And again, every several years it occurs that the days are configured this way. Which Sabbath do you count from? Notice in Joshua chapter 5 we have a case study. Joshua chapter 5 and verse verse 10. It says, And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes, and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Now what do we learn from this passage? That the children of Israel kept the Passover on the fourteenth day. Okay, that's, that's clear. The morrow after the Passover, and I'll remember the Passover and started at eve, evening, and the, the, the whole day uh, would have been considered uh, was the, the same day. The morrow after the Passover would be beginning the first day of unleavened bread. The morrow after the Passover, on the 15th, which is the first day of unleavened bread, they ate the old corn, what we just read, and the parched corn, And the new produce of the land, the manna ceased on that day. They began eating the new produce of the land. Now, the only way this fits, the only way Joshua chapter 5, verse 10 through 12 fits is if it it fell just like it did this year, if you think about it. Passover Friday night, the 14th continues all day Saturday, The 15th is on Sunday. The 15th is when the new corn, the new produce of the land could be eaten. Why? Because the wave sheaf was offered and waved. Why? Because it was counted the morrow after the Sabbath. So, this is a key when this comes up from time to time. How do we count the the morrow after the Sabbath? It's not always clear from Leviticus 23, Joshua chapter 5 helps. Now, I hope I've made it more clear and not less. But anyway, it can be a little bit confusing. The point is that Christ, of course, was the first human to be harvested, right? He was the first of the first fruits. Of course, then the Old and New Testament saints were the next, or would be the next humans to be harvested. Harvested. Let's go back to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. That's This is, of course, the day we're, we're keeping today. Going back to verse 14. Again, you shall eat neither bread, nor parched corn, nor green ears until the same day that you have brought an offering unto your God. In Joshua's day, they couldn't eat the new produce until the wave sheaf had been offered. That's what identifies that day. And then you shall count, verse 15, unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number fifty days. We read this this morning talking about the two loaves in verse 17. They shall be of fine flour. They are baked with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord, which means that they are the Old and New uh, Testament churches, which means they're still human beings. They still have sin. They are not yet perfect, as we can all attest, right? Notice next in the plan, verse 24. Then it says, speak unto the children of Israel, saying, in the seventh month, in the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath, a memorial, of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Of course, this is talking about the Feast of Trumpets, occurs later in the summer, this year, September 30th, I believe, and points to the future return of Christ that we, uh, we look forward to very much. The next holy day, verse 27. Also on the tenth day of the seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation unto you, and you shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. You shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. A day of fasting uh, occurs soon after the Feast of Trumpets points to the binding of Satan, taking him out of the way as the deceiver of the whole world, as the adversary of God, of mankind as well. And finally, to be removed, that is on October 9th this year. Finally, in verse 34, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. On the first day... Shall be a holy convocation; you shall do no servile work therein. Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, and on the eighth day is another holy convocation unto you. Of course, the seven days typifying the millennial reign of Christ, and many of you will be going down to Sunset Beach. You know, all the righteous people will be in Sunset Beach this year. You know, um, it's fine if you're going somewhere else, but you know that. No. We'll be there, so you know, that, we'll, we'll have fun. Uh, anyway, uh, it, it, is, it is figuring the millennial reign of Christ. And of course, the last day, the eighth day, is the last great day, which has tremendous meaning, um, talking about, of course, the general resurrection and all the billions having a chance to learn what we're learning and have access to the Holy Spirit. So what we've gone through is precious knowledge. You know, in just, what, about three or four minutes, or maybe seven or eight, we have talked about the whole plan of salvation of mankind. We've talked about something which very, very few people understand, right? And what an incredible thing that we have had our eyes open to this. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20. We have been talking about the first fruits today. We're going to take one step building on what we talked about this, this morning about the role of the first fruits. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20 again. But now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the first fruits of them that slept. He was the very first. He was the uh, typified by that uh, small clump of grain that was waved at the waving of the sheaf. And finally, in verse twenty-two, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterwards they that are Christ at His coming. When are the first fruits turned, changed, resurrected at His coming? Then comes the end, when He shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when He shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for He must reign till He has put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy destroyed is death. It is a progression. But not only a progression, it is a system wherein the first fruits can actually play a part in the latter steps. Let's look at a brief summary of this Revelation chapter 14 and verse 4. Notice how the saints of God are described in the book of Revelation. See, I'm keeping your arms busy because I keep hearing about people being sleepy. And I figure if you. Fan yourself with your Bible, then you'll stay awake and won't fall asleep. So we're not going to talk any more about being, if you're, actually, you know, Mr. Ames has a wonderful technique. If you're sleeping, go ahead. Just, 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 let's not, we'll try not to disturb you and uh, just have a nice rest. So uh, we'll, we'll wake you up when we're finished. (laughs) Revelation chapter 14 and verse, verse 4, notice, talking about the first fruits. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb wheresoever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. The firstfruits, the saints resurrected to eternal life. But what do they do once they're resurrected? Well, fan yourself again over to Revelation chapter 20. for a thousand years. They sit on thrones. They are with God in His kingdom. Some were martyred. This is obviously talking about the same group, the resurrected saints, the first fruits. They live and reign with Christ a thousand years. What is their function? Verse 6 Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. They serve as priests, the priesthood at that time. Now, where do they serve? Well, we're going to slow down here in a minute, but Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 says, they sung a new song, Revelation 5 and verse 9, You are worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and have made us unto our God kings kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Again, a tremendous body of knowledge that we have just summarized, right? In a few minutes, about the destiny of the first fruits, about why the church is called at all today to get out the message and to prepare to reign with Christ. To prepare to be with Him in His kingdom and to spread this message to the whole world. <clears throat> they will reign with Him on the earth. There will be people, perhaps millions or tens of millions of people who will live through, we know, the, the tribulation, the day of the Lord, and will then be living on into the millennium. The question is, who is going to govern them? Who's going to take care of them? Who's going to judge between them? Who's going to teach them? Is God going to leave them without a shepherd? Are all those people who survive this horrible cataclysm, are are they all going to just wander around not knowing what to do like some of these sci-fi movies that we see, you know, after the end of the world? Or is someone going to help them and teach them? We know the answer. That's what the first fruits are for. If we stay the course, that's our destiny. That's what we learn through this day. Well, brethren, let's take a step back and think for a moment. How important will it be that people in the millennium, when we are there, when we are teaching them and ruling and governing over cities, perhaps, how important will it be that our people... See God working through his government. Will they see the stamp of God on the officials, on the governors, on the mayors, on the kings, on the priests? When you or I am in a leadership role, will they see God through us? Well, they'll have to. They'd better, otherwise we won't be there, right? Will they see God working through us? Well, how will they see God working through us? How do they see that God is backing us up at that time? Will it be primarily through miracles? You know, we might say if sometimes as human beings, if only God would show me a miracle then I would believe, then I would understand, then I would have faith. If only he would provide some divine intervention that would really, then I would know that he's in charge, that I'll follow. Certainly there will be awesome signs and and wonders. But will signs alone convince people that God is working through you as a governor? It didn't the first time. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 29. You know, that has been tried. Uh, We just read that here a few minutes ago. Mr. Ruttleson was talking about a time when the law was given, when tremendous signs were given to back up the fact that God was working through human beings. Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse, verse 1. Let's Read about it. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab. Beside the covenant which he made with him in Horeb. And Moses called unto all Israel and said unto them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, unto Pharaoh, and unto all his servants, and unto all his land. The great temptations which your eyes have seen, the signs and the great miracles... Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear unto this day. What was missing? The heart, right? The Holy Spirit to give them understanding. All the miracles, all the signs, the plagues, the death of the firstborn, the Red Sea crossing, the quails, the manna, they were of no effect without a change of heart. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. In the millennium, the people that you work with, that I work with, God willing, will be there. They will have access to the Holy Spirit, and that will make a huge difference. We'll give them vision and focus and understanding and help them to see that God is working through you and me. Turn over to Numbers chapter 16 and verse 1. Because you know the whole question of God working through a man became a tremendous test and even a source of contention to the Israelites. Numbers chapter 16 and verse verse 1. You know the story of Korah. It says, chapter 16, verse 1, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. I won't try to do the imitation that Mr. Ames does, you know, Dathan. There is no imitating his imitation. Um, And the sons of Palat, the sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, two hundred and fifty princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. He said unto them, You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you lift up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord? You know, in a sense, Korah was right that the whole congregation was holy in the fact that God was with them. And he had designed and desired for them to be a holy nation. He said that. He told them that when the law was given, as we read. What he couldn't see and what they couldn't see was that God had called Moses to a special role and God was working through this man to perform it. He didn't have God's spirit, Korah, He couldn't see beyond the carnal nature, beyond the human nature, beyond the natural. Uh, And and so he got bitter and made a terrible misjudgment. Well, notice what Moses said and did. The meekest man on the earth. Verse 4, And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face, and he spoke unto Korah and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him, even him who has he has chosen, will he cause to come near unto him? Moses correctly understood what the issue was about. It was about who God was working through. And he said, let's, let's decide who God has chosen and who he's working through. You know what happened, verse 12. Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, which said, we will not come up. Verse 13, is it a small thing that you have brought up, us up out of the land that flows with milk and honey? To kill us in the wilderness, except you have made yourself altogether a prince over us. We know the story. Moses had not made himself a prince over them. He was the meekest man on earth. Uh, everything he had become, he knew, came from God. He was, had been humbled. He, he actually had been in government in, in Egypt, and he had been humbled in the wilderness for 40 years. He was under no delusions. You know, remember Mr. Armstrong, the a man who God used to raise up the Philadelphian era, to raise up a work that, that did an amazing work that hadn't been done for hundreds of years. And yet, Mr. Armstrong was under no illusions of who was really doing the work through him. It was God working through him. And... Those with discernment understood that in our day and in Moses' day. Going on, verse 23, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah and Dathan and Abiram. Verse 28, And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me, is working through me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own Verse 29, If these men die the common death of all men, or they are visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. That was the whole issue. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then you shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them. Now, there's no way that Moses could have done this by himself. Right? No way. And yet we know the, what, the next day the congregation blamed Moses for this happening. God was showing in a miraculous way that he was working through a man. Brethren, how important is it that we see that God works through humans? God took it pretty seriously at that time. It was a pretty important issue. And what a wonderful thing it will be that people in our cities in the millennium won't be like that. By and large, won't be like Korah because they'll have the heart to understand. They'll have access to the Holy Spirit, which will give them discernment. Brethren, in the world tomorrow, or tomorrow's world, whichever way we want to say it, the people in your city, what will they see in you? Will they see courage and consistency and integrity? Will they see honesty and peace and compassion? Will they see selflessness and patience? Will they see leaders that they can trust? What will they see in you? You know, if they see leaders they can trust, it might take them a while to get used to it. People in our age are 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 not used to that. One collection of surveys by an author reveals that most people don't have a very high opinion of those that are in leadership positions over them. These are the findings of, of uh, from a book, "The Power of Followership" by Robert Kelly. He says two out of five bosses. Th- this is the responses from followers, from those who are uh, in in subordinate positions under so-called leaders. Two, they say, two out of five bosses have questionable abilities to lead. Only one in seven leaders is someone that followers see as a potential role model to emulate. Sad state of leadership in our country, don't you think, to say that? Less than half of the leaders are able to instill trust in subordinates. That's what surveys of followers uh, say. And nearly 40% have ego problems, are threatened by talented subordinates, have a need to act superior, do not share the limelight. This is what people see today. But, brethren, what an opportunity that we will have as first fruits. That's what this day is all about. To do it right, to do it differently, to show them a very different way. They will see the first fruits, they will see saints born into the family of God. They will see saints who have been tried and tested, who have been baked in the oven. Remember back in Leviticus 23, it was to be baked, the two loaves. Who have had their pride and their ego ground up. The grain was to be ground and made into the loaves. Who will be complete, mature God beings, who will have God working through them 100%. What a relief it will be for those people. Just project yourself into the future. What a relief it will be for us that they have the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine in your city having five or six million people like the Israelites? Would you want to be in that city? What a relief that they will have access and by and large they'll respond in a positive way. Remember what Mr. Armstrong told us. We're not in it just for ourselves, just for our own salvation. The reason that we have been called as firstfruits is yes, to be born into the kingdom of God, but just as importantly, to work under God for the conversion of all mankind. In the millennium, then in the great white throne judgment. So brethren, if God will be working through us then, how much are we allowing Him to work in us now? That's the question. Is God working In you and in me now. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Because that's our destiny. That's what this day is about. That's what we are to become. That's what we're training for. So, where are we? Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Are we allowing God to work through us? Is He working through us? Do we see the signs? Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. He says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We have to work out our own salvation. But who is it that really does the work in us? Who empowers us to overcome? Who steals us against hardship? Who softens us to forgive and to repent and to overlook offenses? Who fills us with selfless, outflowing concern? Of course, it's God through His Holy Spirit. But we have to be willing. We have to let Him do it, right? We have to be willing participants and the more we let God work in us and through us, the more confidence we have and the more faith we have. Notice in 1 John 3 and verse 18. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18. Is God working in you? Is God working through you? Can you see it? Can you sense it? Those of us who have been baptized and received his spirit those of us who haven't yet been baptized but God is still working through us and bringing us to that point can you see God's presence in your life 1 John 3 verse 18 my little children let us not love in word neither in tongue but in deed and in truth and hereby we know that we are of the truth we we can know we don't have to be left guessing and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. We we know when God is working in us. We can sense it. We can tell when we're close to Him, and we can tell when we start to pull back from Him, right? When we're distant from Him, when we're not quite right, and we need to... Get closer to Him. When we're not really putting Him first in our lives, we know that. When we're not really praying like we should, or really digging into His Word like we should, or fasting on a regular basis, you know, not just on the Day of Atonement, but other times as well. When was the last time you fasted? Was it the Day of Atonement? You know, one of our Bible studies here last fall, I asked that question to the local congregation here. but It was only a couple of weeks after Atonement, so, you know, it, it really didn't have the same effect. <laughs> the last time was the Day of Atonement. But now here we are about, what, eight or nine months down the road. Have we used the tool that we have been encouraged to use for spiritual growth? that we have been encouraged for decades to use of fasting through the year? Or is it something we're just not comfortable with? We know what we should do. It's just a matter of doing it. What kind of fruit are you, am I, yielding in our life? Notice in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. You know, the fruit shows us whether or not we are letting God work through us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, here is a list of fruit, some good fruit, some bad fruit. I'll read it from the Living Bible. Do we see fruits of God working in us? Galatians 5, verse 19, But when you follow your own wrong inclinations, your lives will produce these evil results. Impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, hatred and fighting, jealousy and anger, constant effort to get the best for yourself, complaints and criticisms, the feeling that everybody else is wrong except those in your own little group. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and all that sort of thing. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what Paul said. But here's the other side, verse 22. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, it will produce this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ nailed their natural evil desires to his cross and crucified them there. If we are living now by the Holy Spirit's power, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So we look at this list and we evaluate ourselves. Now, when we evaluate ourselves, oftentimes we can kind of talk ourselves into being in the right list, right? You know, we... we, 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 we shade it a little bit towards, well, I've, I've been pretty good, and uh, yeah, I'm doing those that second list. But if you really want to know the truth, ask somebody else. A close friend, a confidant, a mate perhaps, a parent, young people, ask a parent how you are doing. Ask someone who will be honest with you. Do they see the fruits of the Holy Spirit in us? Do they see growth in us over the last year? Now, I may not want to do this every day. Uh, It gets a little hard to take. I remember I once did this with a friend at college. We were classmates and we sat down and wrote a list of positive things about each other and negative things about each other that we needed growth in. And I think we both irritated each other. And we, we didn't really talk much for a while after that. So be careful. Uh, Sometimes it can be a little too much. But I did learn some valuable lessons there. The point is that we need sometimes an objective opinion. Fruits we can't hide from. Fruits are what comes out, just like a tree. Notice in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12 Is God working through us? Through His Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse... You know, and it's not just looking for negative things. It's very encouraging to, for others to see growth in us and to relay that to us and say, you know, I've really seen you grow a lot. You used to punch me in the nose all the time and you don't do that anymore, you know. Um... It's it's encouraging to know that we have changed and to look at our lives. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. Paul said to Timothy, Let no man despise your youth. You notice how Paul instructed Timothy to focus on what the job God had given him to do? No matter what his situation in life was, if God had called him to do a job, it was God doing it through him. Just what we're talking about. Letting God work through us. But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Be an example. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in you, which was given you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things, give yourself wholly to them, that your profiting may appear to all. It's encouraging to us to see other people grow, and it's encouraging to see that in ourselves. Now look at verse 16, I know this is written to one who was in the ministry in in the first century, but... Even if we aren't in the ministry, what is our role in the future? To to really perform that function, to be kings and priests, why are we here? Verse 16, notice what he said. Take heed unto yourself, Timothy, and to the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this you shall both save yourself and them that hear you. He said you're not in it just for yourself. You have a role that God is working through you to help other people. Yes, we want to make it into God's kingdom. But we also, through our work and our example, through our prayers, through our support of the work, we want to help others make it as well. Now, and prepare to help others in the future. That's the role of the first fruits. You know, even Jesus Christ himself submitted to God working through him. Notice in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8. It's really quite remarkable when we think this through. God is, we want God to be working through us. Even Christ, who had been at the throne of God, who had been a God-being, who had experienced power and glory beyond the human flesh, when He became flesh, notice what He said. Notice what, what Paul said describing Him. Ephesians 3, verse 8, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world has been hidden in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. You notice when you read what Christ did and what He said, He didn't take the credit for it. Even He who was God acknowledged that it was God working through Him to do the things that he did. Some of the things that he said, John 5.30, I pass no judgment without consulting my Father. John 6.38, I am come here from heaven to do the will of God who sent me and have not done my own way. There are all kinds of passages like that. In other words, it was the Father working through the Son. John 14 and verse 6, notice, let's turn over there. John 14 and verse 6. Notice what he said when the disciples were wanting to see the Father. John 14 and verse 6. He said, I am the way, yes, and the truth and the life. No one can get to the Father except by means of me. If you had known who I am, then you would also have known who my Father is. From now you have known him and have seen him. Now, of course, Philip was confused. And he said, Sir, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Philip wanted a vision, right? Philip wanted a picture. He said, How can we understand and see the Father unless we've unless we've had contact with Him, unless we can see His form, unless we can see His face. You say we've seen the Father. How how could that be possible? But notice what Christ said. Verse 9, Jesus replied, Don't you even yet know who I am, Philip, even after all this time I've been with you? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking to see Him? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say are not my own, but are from my Father who lives in me. And He does His work through me. Does God work through human beings? Over and over and over we see this principle, that God is not doing it by Himself. He is working through individuals. How important is it that God is working through us? And that others can see the fruit That others can see as we heard. Others should be able to tell that we're different. Not just that we're odd, but that we are different in a positive way, right? Why is that important? Think about it. When you're in the kingdom, when you are over a city, I wonder if anyone will ever ask you that question. You're talking about the Father, you're explaining who He is, You're describing how He thinks and how He does things and what His attitude is and His love and His patience. And someone comes up to you and says, Show us the Father. What are you going to say? Will you be able to say the very thing that Christ did? Don't you understand? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When you look at my life when you look at how I treat you, when you look at how I deal with everyone, you are seeing the Father. The big thing is not seeing a vision or a miracle or a picture, but being able to understand Him and see Him working through others. And then, hopefully, assuredly by that time, our character, our thoughts, our actions Our deeds, our words, our will will be so close to the Father, it'll be true, that when they see us, they will see the Father. Now, brethren, how close to that ideal are we today? We're not there yet, right? When when people see us today, we're not quite a total perfect reflection of the Father, right? We're getting there, we're striving to be as the first fruits were growing, but we have yet ways to go. But that's why we're here, and that's our destiny. We want to be able to be like the Father so much so that others when they look at us, they see the Father. They see God working through us. Is God working through you? You know, some when God boomed down from Mount Sinai, as we heard this in the sermonette, the people couldn't endure it. They wanted God to talk to them directly. Then later, when Christ came in the flesh, they despised Him. He was too familiar. He was too human. So they rejected Him too. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. They couldn't see... God in Christ. So they rejected him. First Peter chapter two and verse one. And yet he was God in the flesh. First Peter chapter two and verse one. He says, Wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Of course, he, carnal human beings could not see God in, in Christ. They didn't understand him. They, didn't, they rejected him. But verse 5, You also as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Since Jesus Christ was a reflection of the Father, a perfect carbon copy, we might say, in attitude, in character, if we are growing to be like Him, we have that opportunity to come to the point where we are a perfect reflection and perfect carbon copy of the Father. Where are we in that? Verse 6, Therefore also it has been contained in the Scripture... "...behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which are disobedient the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them that stumble at the word being disobedient. Whereunto also they were appointed, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people." that you should show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So why are we called as the firstfruits? Not just for our own salvation, not just so we can escape the tribulation, but so that we can become a reflection of God Himself. That we can be the holy nation, the peculiar nation, the royal priesthood, to show forth the praises of Him who has called us out of this world. What a tremendous opportunity we have to become like God and to be a representative that other people will be able to see of God. Now, if we can see that God is working through us, if we can see that God is working in our lives, and we believe that, we have faith in that, if we are being prepared to be kings and priests, If we believe that God is working through us to be leaders and kings in tomorrow's world, and we believe that God is preparing us, and we are a part of the body of Christ, could it be that God is working in those around us too? You know, sometimes it's easy for us to see how he's working in us, but we're not quite so sure about those other people, you know. We look around and we think, well, yeah. I'm not quite sure. Or how about those who are over us? Yeah, I can see God working in me. But when it comes to someone else, yeah, I don't know. I know his faults. I've seen him make mistakes. I know how human he is. Isn't it true? We give great allowance to ourselves that God is working in us and through us. But somehow we're tougher on other people. And yet, if we apply the principle to ourselves, if we know, if we have faith, yes, I understand that God is working in me. And I've seen the fruits. Do we not apply the same principle to others? including those over us, even if they're human. You know, it's interesting that none of us were called in a vacuum. Were any of us in this room made aware of the truth of God through a vision? You you don't have to raise your hand. A blinding flash, Christ talking directly to us. If you have, please come up afterwards. It will be interesting to talk about it. No, we all learn from someone else, right? We all were the recipients, even in baptism, shows the process of of having hands laid on us, that we are the recipients of others who have known the truth and have taught us. Every single last one of us in this room has had a teacher to teach us what we know today. And that teacher was taught by someone else down the line who taught them. And that person was taught by someone else. And that person was taught by someone else. And it goes on and on and on, right? If we trace it back far enough, how far does it go? Notice in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Point is, if, if God is working through us, is He working through others too? as God called others to, and are we giving others, including our leaders, the same benefit of the doubt that that God is working with them as much as we believe He's working with us? Humanly speaking, we we often don't. Matthew 16, verse 13, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, who do men say that I am the Son of Man? Uh, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound, or will have been bound, the margin says, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, or will have been loosed. Now this is a rather remarkable statement if you think about it. He was saying that the church would survive through the ages, and that he would provide a leadership, which would make decisions, which would be binding in heaven. Remarkable, isn't it? If you think about it. Not Pope figures, not having the authority to go against Scripture, but having the responsibility to make decisions. Brethren, do we see God working through others the way we see Him working through ourselves? Wives, Now I'm treading in dangerous territory. Do you see God working in your husband? You know him pretty well. He doesn't really measure up to, you know, the church is, Christ is the husband of the church. He's not quite there yet, probably. But do you see God working through him? Husbands, do you see God working through your wives? And in all kinds of different relationships, sometimes it's a stretch, right? <laughs> when we are uptight, but when we take a step back and we really look at the fruits, it's helpful to remember that. It's helpful to acknowledge that that we all have value. You know, in one sense, this is the huge lesson of Pentecost that God is involving men and women in the plan not just as recipients of salvation, but as direct participants who he will use working through them. Even, fallible, stumbling, messing up, mistake-prone human beings. What if leaders make mistakes? If you're a wife, think back to the last mistake your husband made. Now, it may not... That long ago. Or if your, you're a uh, husband. Now, let, you know, let's not even think about the last mistake. Never mind. Don't even go there. What if leaders make mistakes? What if church leaders make mistakes? Can God really be working in a church where the leaders of all things make mistakes? Well, do we make mistakes? And is God working in and through us? Yes and yes. Well, if we come to that conclusion, why would we not come to the same conclusion about the leaders that are over us as well? Yes, they make mistakes. Yes, God is working through them. You know, there's an interesting example of what happened to Moses. Remember after he made a mistake when he was told to speak to the rock and out of frustration, what did he do? He smote the rock. How did God respond? He responded by backing him up. Isn't it comforting that God backs us up even when we make mistakes? And God will back up our leaders even if they make mistakes? I find that comforting. God isn't waiting for a chance to throw us out. You know He's not waiting for a chance to cut us loose, adrift in the universe, to knock us down, do away with us. He will deal with our mistakes, perhaps privately, like He did with Moses. He did have to pay for his mistake, and He paid dearly. He was not allowed to, to cross into the land, right? But God deals with us and our leaders, thankfully, according to mercy and patience and kindness. And in the meantime, he works through us in the same way. It's interesting to note, thinking back, you know, in a time even when the church was wrong on the keeping and timing of the day of Pentecost. uh, For some time, the church was keeping the day of Pentecost on Monday based on a wrong understanding of of the timing of the counting. And eventually God corrected it. But in the meantime, what did he do? Through all those years when the church was keeping Pentecost, on the wrong day, according to Scripture, on on Monday, what did he do? All those years, he blessed the work, right? He guided the work. He gave the church healings. He gave the church growth. In fact, oftentimes we talk about those years as some of the golden years of the church. God backed up his leaders and blessed the work and did correct the mistake. God hasn't called us to be Pollyannas, yet he has called us to have confidence that he is working through our leaders, just as we have confidence that he is working in us. You know, I think that's a powerful lesson for all of us. It's important for us to think that through, especially living in a society that devalues leaders and leadership at an all-time low. Notice in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 1. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 1. It's interesting that Paul told Timothy, Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses... The same commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Quite an amazing scripture. You think about it. He was talking about four generations. He said, Timothy, I'm going to teach you the truth. You pass it on to someone else who can then teach others. Four generations Paul was talking about. And that process has taken place for hundreds of years, hasn't it? The truth has not died. It's been passed on over and over and over. However generations we could count. Each generation having a teacher somewhere who they can be thankful for receiving the truth, thankful that they were an instrument through which God worked. Brethren, how thankful for our teachers are we? Think back to the teachers that you've had for God working through them, that we might know where, what we know and be sitting where we are today. How thankful are we? And it's all because God, first and foremost, used some individual, then individuals, to pass on the truth. And that's why we're sitting here today, talking about Pentecost and preparing for Christ's return. Because someone taught you and taught me. As we get close to wrapping up here, since I see some of you are asleep, just keep on sleeping. It's really, I'll try to talk a little more quietly from here on out so it's not as to disturb you. Acts chapter 2, as we start wrapping this up. We've read this, but let's touch on a few things again a historic moment a memorable moment the day of Pentecost outpouring of the Holy Spirit on 31 AD a time when God worked through human beings in a totally miraculous way right Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 and when the day of Pentecost was fully come they were all with one accord in one place suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting they couldn't control that This was not the work of the disciples. Just as Moses couldn't make the earth just open up, God was doing something. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. God using men in an awesome, powerful way beyond comprehension really must have been incredible to see that, to experience it. The sights, the sounds, the power, the miracles, the fire. God working in unmistakably through human, mortal, fallible men who had just a few weeks before fled and betrayed, at least fleeing away from Jesus Christ in His worst hour of trial. And God was working through these men. Verse 5. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, devout Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. When this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. They were trying to make sense of it. They couldn't figure it out. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? Surely God couldn't be working through these men. It doesn't make any sense. And how do we hear every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, etc., dwellers in Mesopotamia and other places. And they were all amazed, verse 12, and some were in doubt, saying one to another, what means this? Others, mocking, said, the men are drunk. And, of course, that wasn't the explanation either. Verse 14, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice, said unto them, you men of Judea, and all you that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. These are not drunken as you suppose, seeing as it but the third hour of the day. But this is what which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will... Pour out in those days my spirit and they shall prophesy. I will use men and women powerfully. I will work through individuals, human beings. It was prophesied. And this day, he said, it's coming to pass. You are witnessing something special. What have we been talking about through this whole discussion? God works through human beings. God uses people to do His work. You know, He could have thundered down from heaven. He could have just spoken out of the clouds like He did at Sinai. It didn't really work at Mount Sinai. They didn't listen any better, right? So instead, He used human instruments he had chosen and would form the basis and foundation of the church and now notice verse 22 peter explained you men of israel hear these words jesus of nazareth a man approved of god among you by miracles and wonders and signs which god did by him in the midst of you as you yourselves also know peter was explaining how god would have been working through jesus that was the very point that he was making But you didn't listen. Verse 23, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that He should be held of it. Verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, what happened at this point? At first, there were mockers. At first, there were some who thought they were drunk. They had been drinking. Can you imagine? From that contrast to suddenly saying, Wow, you are speaking the words of God. And then it says, They were pricked in their hearts. Verse 37, Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? God is speaking through you. Brethren, when we first learned about the truth, when we first began to be taught to understand, what was the response that you had? When a human being was explaining to you the truth, and you understood it for the first time, Was it not the same remarkable thing? Wow, these are the words of God. Inspired to change my life, to repent, to go the other way. Verse 38, then Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The New Testament church began and God has been adding to His church ever since. Why are we here? Why are we here? To let God work through us. Is God working through you, brethren? Can we see that? It's not just for our salvation. It's for the work of bringing many more millions and billions of sons to glory. But it all starts here God working through us, us seeing that God is working through each other, and that God is working through those that God has given to us to teach us. Let's let God work with us and through us today as first fruits in his kingdom to his kingdom. Let's see, let this day be one step forward in preparing us for the awesome role he has in the millennium and beyond.